I always sort of knew that I wanted to be in advertising and I knew ultimately where I wanted to go. I was probably too rigid in that. I didn't necessarily give myself a little bit of flexibility along the way. In a very simplistic sense of it, I was completely overscheduled and I'm also very type A. So I'm easily able to get into routine where I would do certain things in a certain way. And literally days would turn into months, would turn into years. And I became so rigid that in a rare moment of solitude, I would reflect back and say, my gosh, look at how much time has gone by. I'm Shreen Patek, and this is Starting Out. Today's podcast, where I take the personal route with the movers and shakers in the marketing industry to find out their story, how they became the leaders they are today, and what's their special power that makes their craft so remarkable. John Osborne recently made a major leap when he moved to OMD from BBDO after a 25-year run at that creative agency. Was that scary? It was a bit, to be frank. To be frank with you, on the on the outside, I was trying to project an air of confidence. Well, and, you have to, and uh, you know, someone with a sense of purpose. But of course, on the inside, definitely, I was nervous. Yeah, for sure. But what might have seemed like a sharp turn in a career path was actually the result of an organized mind. What I learned from John in this episode was that he's an overprogrammer. He's obsessively charted out his career path, which began like most kids mowing lawns went on to a short stint in politics with an internship with John Kerry, and so much more. His life and lessons on today's show. I grew up with a single mom, and she raised both myself and my sister. Um, and growing up in that family, we learned um, how to live in an era, in the early era of responsibility. We were sort of the original latchkey kids. My mom would work hard to put food on the table and a roof over our shoulders. And so we came home from school. We'd prepare our own dinner. And then later on that evening, my mom would get home and she wanted to make sure we were doing well in school. But literally, it, it forced us in a good way, uh, in retrospect, to take on responsibility and then, you know, hold true to that responsibility and see it through. Well, um, as a kid, so you were sort of coming home, kind of almost taking care of yourself and, the, and, the, and your sister um, yeah. and kind of taking on that responsibility. What what was kind of going through your mind? What did you want to do uh, as you were sort of looking? I mean, you were watching your mom, this strong woman, kind yeah. of put food on the table and take care of you guys. And also that incredible sense of responsibility that put on you as to do something great and sort of match up to those expectations. What did you, what did you want to do? I, I, you know, I wanted to do something of significance where, you know, if I worked really hard, there'd be some tangible proof of that effort. And I think there are a lot of great careers, you know, whether it be in finance or other professions where people work really hard and they take great satisfaction and gratification from it. To me, having some physical manifestation of all that work was important to me. And I thought what was great about it. Creating something. Creating something, yeah. Did you, as a kid, were you, I don't know, did you work with your hands a lot? Were you a creator? (laughs) Did you, I'm imagining you as a sort of artist, you know. Putting, I don't know, building tables or something. A young carpenter. Shireen, you're very shrewd to suggest that because indeed, while I'm not a creative, I'd like to think that I have some creative instincts. So when I was really young, I had a a room down in the basement. It was probably filled with asbestos and that's probably why I am today, (laughs) who I am today. But I would build models and uh, I got, got pretty good at it. So I would... While I'm a very outgoing person, there's a big part of me that is very, um, I think, introverted and quiet, and I need that sense of balance in my life. But at that young period of my of my uh, 
of my life, I loved building models and I loved drawing and I loved um, being creative. But I but I realized I wasn't a creative. I liked um, I liked stepping out of that role and also harnessing that and trying to connect it back to some sort of something. And as my career got started, that something was business. What was, um, did you have a job when you were in school? Did you do kind of odd jobs, anything like that? I did. I started working even before the legal age. And early in my life, I painted houses and mowed lawns. And then like many kids, I formed my own lawn service. I'd stuff lawnmowers in the back of my Toyota Corolla and a couple of knuckleheads from high school. And I would drive around the summer and mow lawns. And then um, after that, I had an opportunity to uh, go door to door for an organization called Massperg, where we were out trying to raise money to clean up hazardous waste sites. And I would approach people of all different walks of life, different, you know, male, female, different races, ages, the whole thing. And I would try and explain to them the importance of what I thought was something that bound us all together, which which was concern for the environment. And some people, you know, literally would, would close me off, but a lot of people would engage with me. And I started to learn how to approach different people in slightly different ways, depending upon how I was able to put myself in their shoes. Give me an example. Like, um, you know, these are tough neighborhoods. I mean, I'm honest to God, I'm surprised I'm not, I wasn't thrown in the back of some van and driven out to the fields outside of LaGuardia Airport and left there for, for coyotes. But... I am fortunate to be here. I didn't but know they had coyotes outside LaGuardia Airport. I think there's one left. They haven't ah, killed like one is what okay. I heard. Well, you got to keep one around yeah. just in case. In, in, you never exactly. know when you need a coyote. Precisely. But um, I loved uh, I loved the, the, the art, if you will, of going door to door and trying to pitch my case. And I think it allowed me at that a, a young age to hone my sense of approach, my, my own personal pitch, if you will. And I think, you know, the most effective pitch was when it wasn't me selling. It was me communicating a little bit about myself and why it matters to me. And that connected often with the people that I was speaking with on the other side of the screen door. And in many instances, they'd invite me in. They'd want to learn more and they would donate um, to whatever they're, you know, whatever they could. And I think we made a we made an impact, I'd like to believe. Um, so I did that for one summer. I worked in a, in a law firm as a paralegal. For a firm that's no longer around, I think it was folded into Hale and Dora, but at the time it was called Bingham, Dana, and Gould in downtown Boston. That was really unique. And then later on, I did an internship with a congressman from Massachusetts. Congressman, he was the freshman senator, John Kerry, who went on to great things as well. What was that like? Tell me about that. That was really unique. And, you know, they say make the best of and make the most of every opportunity. And in this case, uh, um, I was able to work really hard to find a connection to an alum from my college. And I made that connection. And he invited me down to Washington. He was working for uh, Kennedy at the time. And he referred me over to Kerry. And I landed an internship. And I was really, really fortunate because they paired me up with a guy named Larry Karpman. Larry was the press secretary for the senator. And Larry would literally, uh, he would grab me whenever he would leave the office and he would pull me in, in tow. So I had the unique, op- the, the unique aperture to, to see the senator up close and personal and learn how deals got made on Capitol Hill and, and the power of persuasion and how you build consensus amongst a bunch of differing opinions, oftentimes different. Today, always different always opinions. Always different opinions. Um, and in fact, one of the buzzkills about Washington was I felt like everyone worked really, really hard on behalf of the interests of their constituencies, but inevitably nothing gets done in Washington. What always struck me about, about John Kerry was that he would always, again, take the time. And when he shows up, he really shows up and he takes the time to listen as opposed to always being so mission driven that, you know, he bulldozes his way through and just sort of pushes aside 
everything. He always struck me as someone who would always take the time to listen to another point of view and then form that opinion. So I can't think of one specific instance because we did an awful lot during that summer. But I remember him always taking the time to, um, you know, this and this was different to other offices where literally they would do, they would push paper and they would get letters from folks back in the home state and they'd have the auto pen out and the auto pen would sign the form letters and this, that, and the other. What struck me about Kerry was he always took a personal interest in wanting to make sure he had his fingers on the pulse of what was happening. Uh, tell me about showing up, just the idea that you're coming to work. It feels simple, but was there were there people you worked with that you felt like weren't showing up? How did you... How did that become such a sort of defining point of your managerial staff? Yeah, I won't name people or instances, but I definitely think that over the years, you know, you sort of get a sense for who's sliding through and who's maintaining versus driving things forward. And I try and associate myself with the latter versus the former. Um, There's a great quote that sat in my office for a number of years. It was from Roy Rogers. And the quote is, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you sit there, if you just sit there. And... To me, showing up means showing up with not only a point of view, but you know you want to make a difference. You want to you want to try and come up with an idea or figure out a way to drive things forward, to advance to advance things forward. And I think that's that's really important. There, are, you know, it's important to listen, yeah, but it's also important to actually not let the the batter settle. You know, always stir it so it's always sort of in movement. It's got to be, you know, it's it's always got to be moving somewhere. A lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of young people, I think, are often told that, that if you're going to do something, you, you want to get a paycheck, then show up. That's kind of the step number one yeah. of what, what is some of the advice that you sort of give to younger people that come and work for you um, about that very simple thing? Because it feels simple, but I think a lot of people don't really think about it. Because I think people come in and they say, I'm here from the nine to five. I'm here to do this thing. And then I'm leaving. And work for some people is just a means to that end. Right. I think, well, one of the most, it's very cliche, but if you don't really love what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. But I definitely think that showing up is is super important. Um, there are some people that physically show up, they don't mentally show up. But I think that one of the things I tell or I try and tell younger people, which is something that I wish I knew a lot earlier in my career, which is that I always sort of knew that I wanted to be in advertising and I knew ultimately where I wanted to go. I was probably too rigid in that, rigid in that thinking, in that um, I didn't necessarily give myself a little bit of flexibility along the way. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, you don't always want to be so hell bent on the destination. You also want to enjoy the journey and give yourself a little bit of flexibility. It sort of goes back to what I was saying before about it's not only it's not always great to be precisely um, rigid or right in terms of where you want to go from a destination. You want to give yourself a little flexibility to be able to enjoy it along the way and explore. If the opportunities present itself, something that you may not have known going into that you'd have that opportunity to explore in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Tell me about that sort of rigidity of knowing. I mean, at what point did you know you wanted to be in advertising? What did that actually mean? Because a lot, maybe you didn't even, I think for a lot of people just starting out, oh, I know I want to do this, but you don't actually know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I got into advertising because Leo Burnett came up to my school that I was I was in college. And back in, back at that time, they still had companies that would come up there and recruit. Mm-hmm. And Where I were went, you at college? So I was up in uh, Dartmouth, up in Hanover, New Hampshire. And there was a presentation that was given by an individual from Procter and Gamble alongside a person from Leo Burnett. And they told a great story about how this corporation and this agency came together to develop iconic advertising that moved the business forward. And I was hooked at that very first moment. And what I thought to myself was, hmm, this is interesting. If I took 
you know, what I learned is a paralegal and um, the, the art of building a case. And I combined that with the art of persuasion that I had learned in Washington, working with Senator John Kerry. Here's something where you work really hard and you see some sort of physical manifestation of all that work in the form of an advertising campaign. And, um, and, the, and thus be, began, began my ride. But I, you know, it was, that was kind of the early stage of it. But I was probably way too rigid in a number of different ways. In a very simplistic sense of it, I was completely overscheduled. I wanted to, and I'm also very type A, so I'm easily able to get into routines. And so I would get into these routines where I would do certain things in a certain way. And literally days would turn into months, would turn into years. And I became so rigid that in a rare moment of solitude, I would reflect back and say, my gosh, look at how much time has gone by. And I didn't view it as wasted time. I just viewed it as time that probably I could have been a little less rigid and allowed myself a little bit of time to dream and to explore and think what if. I hope you're enjoying the podcast right now. A quick break to tell you all about Digiday Plus. Digiday Plus is our premium membership product. If you want to join our community, you can get a first-hand look at how digital is changing the world of media. You'll get Digiday Magazine, lots of exclusive research, and invites to exclusive member-only events. It's only $3.95 a year. Please sign up at digiday.com. And for your podcast listeners, a special discount offer. If you want to get 25% off your subscription, enter the code starting out at checkout. Now, back to the episode. I think if I could offer any advice to someone starting out in the career or someone early in his or her career, it's to say, just take time out and think, what if? And ask yourself why. We live in a corporate world where everybody is so feverish. You know, they get an email and then boom, they jump to respond. It's almost like a firehouse mentality. The alarm rings, the cell phone rings, the device buzzes, and off we go to the races to try and solve the problem and to get something done. That's great. You know, we're in a world where you got to get a lot of shit done. But the fact of the matter is, is that unless you really stop to ask why we're doing what we're doing, we become like robots. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing over and over again, even when you know it's not right. Allow yourself the freedom and the flexibility to think what if and ask yourself why. Ultimately, if you do and the answers that you get from it, it'll allow you to propel yourself a lot further and faster than probably you ever thought possible. At what point did you think, okay, was I too rigid in planning how this all went? Because it worked out fine, but yeah. this is probably something inside you and not necessarily in the manifestation of your career. Well, I think along the way, what one of the things that I thought was really fun was when business works well, it can do good. And I think that more and more over the course of my career, I recognize the importance of good business. And good business in terms of what is a business? Um, a business, when done right, can you know build careers for a number of people. It can allow them to put food on the table and put a roof over their head. And I also think that as the years went, went on and society started shifting, there was a lot of benefit to be had in good business, business that pays back in some way, shape, or form, the art of purposeful communications. And so if you go back to the sense of my character, which is wanting to work on stuff that does good or leaves an important mark, that kind of was a turning point um, for me. And I, I didn't develop that sense of, you know, looking beyond um, the day-to-day -day job until a lot later in my career. And I think had I sort of had that sense of self-awareness and being a little less hell-bent on what the next rung on the corporate ladder was, I would have allowed me the opportunity to probably get involved in some stuff a little bit earlier in my career. 
And so one of the things that I really enjoy about my life isn't just my life at OMD or Omnicom or BBDO. It allows me to tap into some of the philanthropic efforts that our clients are involved in. It allows me the opportunity to apply what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis to other great causes that also try and make the world a bit better, things like the Red Cross or the Police Athletic League. And then I think clients sometimes take note of that and they appreciate that. And sometimes they even tap into some of those things that I'm involved in. And that's a great sort of circle of life kind of moment. Um, What kind of boss are you? I don't know. I love like first job jitters. Tell me a little bit about, sorry, new job jitters, not first job jitters. Tell me a little bit about how, what that was like. And the night before, were you thinking about like, what, who am I going to be? What kind of boss am I going to be? Who are these people going to like me? You were meeting a lot of new people. Well, one of the things that um, Andrew Robertson, who is a close colleague and a mentor, as well as a friend, he always told me, look, it's not a popularity contest. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. So when you say people liking you, yeah, I mean, I certainly hope people uh, appreciate me and like me. But at the end of the day, it wasn't really necessarily winning over new friends. It was tackling a challenging job and trying to bring some of what I had learned in 25 years of BBDO to the media world. Um, But it was a big change. And one of the big changes was it was a completely different company within the holding company known as Omnicom, which is both good and, and, and bad from the perspective, not bad, but it was still a seismic shift because shifting within the holding company brings its own set of, of unique circumstances as opposed to if I was making a clean break and going somewhere else. But the fact of the matter is I love Omnicom and it was a move that I was definitely into in the first place. That's John Osborne, and that's a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening, our producers at The Sungle. If you like our show, please subscribe and share it forward. How you can do that? Rate us, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I'm Shereen Patek. We'll see you next week.